Socially Good Media presents The Socially Good Podcast. I'm John Gilbert, who along with members of the team from the award-winning social marketing agency Eskimo Soup, will be shining a light on the latest and the greatest in media communications. We are back with the Socially Good Podcast and today we're going to be talking about raising awareness and challenging attitudes through live theatre. Our guest is Aidan Thompson-Coates, the Artistic Director of Apisart. And in this we discuss the power of live theatre as a media to challenge attitudes around issues such as mental health, male sexual abuse and the impacts of social media has on the lives of young people. We then round off the discussion by talking about the sustainability of the platform of live theatre to raise awareness in the future. Bit of a disclaimer, there's a couple of references here to writers being tremendously clever. Um, We do get a little bit up ourselves, but hopefully not too much. But before we get into that, to kick things off, I asked Aidan about the writing process and how it is that he selects the topics for his material. With regard to theatre, I think... It's it's a great source for people to, to to learn and question their own opinions and morals about things, uh, because when you have a live performance with with actors spitting distance away from you, and they're manufacturing this raw emotion in front of you, it's it's it has a real impact on those in the room because you're experiencing that moment with them, um, as opposed to maybe something uh that takes place on a on a big screen within a cinema or something like that which i'm not saying doesn't have that effect but when they're in the same room as you and they're organically making the story happen in front of you i feel like it it has the potential to to really resonate and also with regard to us personally everything that we create comes from stories and um, interviews with people that have gone through the issues we're exploring, but they're local. So because there's that local voice integrated, it really benefits the reaction we get from audiences in whole, because one thing we have learned in the last four years is what whole audiences love is stories about whole. And so we've really capitalized on that with regard to, um, putting stories out there that that have a message to get across. At the moment, uh, we're working on a production which is to be performed in June at Hull Truck. It's called Clouded, and it's effectively about this imagined process in which people can, as I've put it, cloud themselves to abandon their earthly existence and live online. And the idea that people might do that is because they might want to promote social good from online to people that use the internet on earth, as it were, uh, to help them to make lifestyle changes to potentially save the world and humanity from themselves. But also, in doing so, it also tackles the trials and tribulations of of internet and social media as as it is. At the moment, I'm doing a lot of work with young people and going into schools, sick farms, that sort of thing, and talking to young people generally about their experience using social media. And when I think about how some of the some of the things that they're telling me that, that they they 
post online or just their behavior online, I kind of think, okay, you need to, uh, <laughs> you need to learn a few things here. I mean, on a, on a small note, I mean, there's, there's much more in the way of, in, um, there's much more in the way of information that I've gathered from surveys and conversations and such so far, but we've barely scratched the surface on that yet because it's still early days. But one thing I have found out is that I've spoken to about 30, 30-ish young people so far on this specific thing. And, uh, and eight out of 10 of them add people on Facebook that they don't know. Like if they send them a friend request, they'll just say yes. And something as simple as that, I think you need to know how to be safer online. So that's one of the reasons how we we arrived at this particular topic. And and with regard to how we arrive at these topics generally, we I I I sort of I I, I read a lot of of different plays, and I sort of see issues that come up a lot, or I see. The same issue come up a lot, but tackled in a similar way. Um, and I kind of think, can that be done differently? And has there been anything on this particular issue? So, for example, the male sexual abuse. Um, I hadn't come across a play. There might be one. And if, if there is one, I'm, I'd be happy to hear about it. Um, but um, I've never come across a play tackling that theme before. And within Apisat, there is, um, we, we had somebody talk to us about their experience having gone through that, which was awful, but it was really, it was really engaging. And we thought we really want to, to put this forward and they were keen for it as well. And we thought it's something that's not been done, but obviously it's a very deep, very emotional, heavy topic. And so we wanted to make it as, as light-hearted and fun as possible, but obviously building up to the inevitable, which, you know, not a dry eye. Um, um, but the message really got across and it got, it got the topic more talked about uh, within our networks as it, anyway. And, and also we were lucky enough to get partnership for that one with Survivors UK, which is a male sexual abuse charity. Um, so we got some survivors come to see it too, uh, which was nerve-wracking, but um, but really rewarding also because they the feedback they gave um, was just... It was phenomenal. Um, we, we were so happy with the feedback that we got because it showed that we'd done them justice. Um, and yeah, so I was pleased that we arrived at, at the, the topic for that one because I felt like it was something that there needed to be something said for. And then come leading on from that, when we did, we did a show called The Man Says Nothing last year, which was about men's mental health. And that's sort of segued because not not that male sexual abuse is is the reason why the men's mental health statistics are so high for that reason alone but um it's it's a strong 
contributor because it's something that a lot of males don't talk about if they've been through it or they're ashamed to talk about it or there's a lot of stigma around does male sexual abuse even exist which I just can't believe that's even a question. Two of the shows we did more recently, one of them we did out of 50 interviews with the sort of target group and the other one we did 100 interviews. From that we got a lot of them coming to attend the performance and so not that was sort of added pressure in one sense but also for them to see that what they had spoken to us about had actually pretty much laid the 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 groundwork for what the production was going to end up being um i think showed them that their their opinions their views their experiences um were worthwhile communicating to us um because there's always that worry that they open up to us all this stuff and then we don't use it so it's important for me to show them that everything they do say does matter. Some things obviously don't make it because we've got two hours to tell this story and a hundred people's stories to get into that, which... I think you can manage expectations on yeah. this as well. I mean, we've, we've talked off mic before about how Eskimo Soups work. We do this primarily through film. Um, but I don't think that the methodology is, is alien in any sense. But one of the ways I deal with that is, I just, is I, I'm just explicit with people. I say... If you watch this and you think, oh, they didn't use this bit, or that's not what I said, remember that this is a construct of several people's experiences and I cannot put everything in there. And do you know what? Nobody has ever gone, oh, well, that's not fair. They've all just gone, oh, yeah, I get that. And I think it's just explaining that to manage that expectation because particularly with a live performance, coming along going, oh, bringing people along going, oh, I've helped do this. I told them about this and they're going to include it. And then for it not to happen. Yeah, like yeah. Devastating experience for somebody. And I, was, and I, and I know... Once you break that trust, it's going to be quite difficult to rebuild it. So I think, yeah, I think that's there's simple ways of dealing with it. You can't throw everything in there because no. your narrative is just going to be all over the place. No, that, and I write them all as well. I have written them all, and um, I have the arduous task of having to, in the end, cut out more than I uh, more than I can keep in, <laughs> because I just write and write and write so much, and then I realise I've got about two hundred pages, and I think I'm not writing a novel, I'm writing a play. Mm. So then I have to cut out over half of what I've done. <laughs> um, which you know gets rid of the sub subplots, the subplot uh, about eight characters. Nah, I'm kidding. I, d- uh, I don't <laughs> think that generally speaking, people appreciate just how clever writers are. <laughs> I mean, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I think you said the plots and the subplots, and, and the, well, it's like, well, why don't you change this bit? Because I can't change that bit because it's relevant for this reason. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't notice oh, that. Oh god, the amount like, of debates I've had with people about those kind of things. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the process that you use for that. Then, as, as a as a writer, then is that something you do pretty much in isolation, or are there elements where you have to do it by committee? And how do you get feedback? What's your approach, Ed? So I hate being around people when I'm writing. And by that, I mean people that actually talk to me. Mm-hmm. So I'll either go to a quiet place or that I like to sit in a in a coffee shop sometimes. Something like that, where I'm just in my own, my own little world. No one's going to bother me. And I sit there with my notes from all of my interviews that I've done. I mean, it depends on the nature of the interviews because I give options of how people would like to be interviewed. Because some some are happy doing it face-to-face with me and I take notes while we're doing that. Others uh, 
we do it via a Skype call or something like that. Um, if they're sort of further afield but still want to be involved, which is always nice. And the other way is if they're they're not quite comfortable with um, with, with being face to face with someone and would rather type their their answers to me, which is also fine. There's also a survey if people don't want to be interviewed at all and they want to remain anonymous completely. Mm. I mean, everyone remains anonymous anyway because I don't share that information. So I take all of my my notes or my surveys or whatever and I'm, I sit there with those and then I I take the sort of rough rough plot outline that I have and I try and match up details from those interviews with that and amend bits, change bits around um, and, and just kind of see what works and then get right in. And then it, it varies from, from project to project how, how long it takes. The last play I did, it took me two weeks to write the first draft. The show before that took me two days to write the first draft. So it all depends on just how much the vision's already there. And I also think that it's much easier to edit something that already exists than to write it in the first place. And so I just like to get it down. If it's rubbish, oh well, I'll edit that later. And then I, once I've done my first draft, I reread it. Well, no, I read it. I don't reread it. I read it. But you reread it after you've read it. I reread it after I've read it, yeah. <laughs> and if I sort of look at bits and think, hmm, don't know why I put that, or bits don't add up, or that's a bit naff, hmm, what's the point in that scene? What's the point in that character? You know, all these things go through your head. And that's when cuts start to be made. After I've made those cuts, I do a reading by myself where I play all the characters in my in, in, in my own solitude and I time it. So I time it so that I can get a rough, rough idea of how long it is at the moment. And then if it's still too long, I think, right, okay, I've got to cut some more. And that's when I often take it to uh, a trusted friend or, or someone of that ilk to to have a have a read of it and tell me what they think isn't relevant or if if I've put something in there that, that they're sort of going doesn't really contribute anything uh, because I might think of it as highly important but as someone totally unrelated to the project their their opinion matters because ultimately um, they're not they're not directly linked to the project so they have a more impartial opinion than I do. Um, How have you selected those people? Um, just people that I've I've worked with over the years on different productions. People that I've uh, directed and stuff. People that have an aptitude for writing. People that want to learn how to write. Or just people, people that are completely disassociated from the creative arts completely. Because if then they're not looking at it as an artistic piece. Um, and so that's always, uh, that's always a good measure, I think, to, to get their opinions because they're, they're, they're looking at it as entertainment and not as, uh, purely entertainment and not as, um, a, a project, I suppose. Uh, so, so their opinions are always really important. And then once, once they've, once they've done that and they've gone through that with me, I will either agree or disagree. 
I think my heart always disagrees, but my head agrees. <laughs> um, so I I take it on board, and that's pretty much how I end up with the the final product. So, that, so you take heed of the feedback, uh-huh. but ultimately editorial control remains with you. Oh, 100%. So, you can, so people put forward their opinion, but you don't, well, well, they've said change this, so I'm going to change it. You will still, you, because you, for your process, you've attended all of the interviews, you've developed your characters, and you've, you've scripted this as well. So nobody knows it better than you. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're ignoring people's No, no. It doesn't mean you have to take it. I mean, there's t- the, the, there are times where they recommend taking stuff out that I think, mm, yeah, but that, that foreshadows this later on, or that is reflective of this that happens at the beginning. And, and to be fair, upon first reading of something, the reader is not going to pick up on all no. of those points. It's like if you see a, a film or you watch a play for the first time, you watch it again, there'll be things that, oh, I didn't really notice that until mm. I watched it again. Particularly if it's something that's got a twist. And you're almost going to appreciate it better the second time around because you can see what how clever it was. Sustainability. I think that's a really interesting point because... For a long time now, there's been this sort of thing of, oh, theatre's dying out, oh, people don't want to go. Um, but I, I don't necessarily see that as the case. I think now more than ever, theatre companies, bigger theatre companies, are using the platform of live theatre so much more to raise awareness for issues uh, because it's a really good, it is a really good platform in which to do so. And, again, going back to the idea of people learn most when the things are not being taught, um, I think that if you've got a really good story with an issue underlying, that is the best way to communicate, um, to communicate an issue. Because when you've got, when you have an issue in mind, and then you think, right, I want to... I want to put forward this issue, I want to raise awareness for this issue, and then you sort of do a bit of a story with it, it becomes a lecture, and that's when people get turned off. But if you've got a banging story um, that people can relate to, connect with, then if there's an issue in there, they'll pick it up just, just by... Just, just naturally, just subconsciously, it just happens. Um, and so I think that because, especially politically as well at the moment, because we're in such a, everyone's so fueled in different ways by different opinions and different things that are going on, and environmentally people are conflicted, um, I think when people see that there is something in support of their argument and it's a theatre production they'll go and they'll try and drag anyone they can to it. And and to the other opinion as well, they'll do the same. Uh, so I think if people keep using it for, for those kinds of reasons and putting, putting work on that expresses views and opinions that people either agree or disagree with, I think people will go because they really, they, they want to see if these people agree with them or if they can challenge um if they if they can challenge what's been put in front of them and it sparks a I say friendly often unfriendly debate 
between them. Yeah, but I'd rather people going to live theatre and having debate rather than fighting each other and certain crude alternatives <laughs> we've got to fishing things out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I think it's sustainable from that standpoint when it comes to new writing. I think it's I think what's difficult now is and I, I kind of resent it a little bit but I also kind of understand it is there's this thing in theatre now of if there's no social, cultural, environmental or political issue attached to a story the main question that gets asked is well what's the point of it then? And that kind of annoys me because what's wrong with just telling a story? <laughs> but yeah, um, Sheer escapism sometimes I think that, that's a bit Important part of mental health. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If all we were doing was trying to be uh, more woke by watching any form of entertainment, <laughs> yeah, you end up like me, making a podcast called The Socially Good Podcast and reading all the books I read. <laughs> I need to start watching more Coronation Street. Mind you, Coronation Street covers, uh, I don't know why I picked Coronation Street, but that covers all kinds of I was going to say that. I haven't seen it for 20 years. Is Deirdre Barlow still in it? I don't know. I don't, don't know. She might be dead now. <laughs> Sorry, sorry to hear that. For anybody that's listening to the podcast who's just had a bit of bad news broken to them like me, okay, there are uh, helplines available. So then, Aidan, thank you for your time and for your wisdom and your thoughts today. So how can anybody listening find out more about your work or even get in touch? They just need to search for APOSART, A-double-P-O-S-A-R-T, and that's just our name on all three of them. Mm -hmm. And they can either message us on there our phone number's on there as well, if they want to get in touch on there. And we're, we're very happy to engage with new artists and hear new ideas, hear new stories, that sort of thing. And also, um, if you follow us on Twitter and Instagram, you can see process and the progress we're making on Clouded, which if I can just plug that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's on from Wednesday the 10th of June to Saturday the 13th of June 2020, and tickets are already on sale and they're selling as well.